Mr. A here, saying, how y'all doing? Yo! Are you ready to rumble? Or should I say tumble? Cause I don't stumble, I bumble like I drag a bright tumble. Standing on the ground, flat feet, burn, coming bones and turns, Welcome to the Rumble, we are back and better than ever, helping you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. We don't want you sucker punch, so we're here each and every week helping you keep your guard up. I am Jeremy Lavelle with Remedy Claims Consulting at Claims Coach on Instagram and TikTok, affectionately referred to as the Mouth of the South. Alongside of me is Mr. Brent Hooper of Max Claims Solutions of Baltimore, Maryland. We just call him the Beast of the East and the ever-lovely, instantly entertaining, the precociously pedagogical and the love of my life the one and only baby cake and you know it's it's all of this this is all a learning experience you guys can look that up yeah that's true yeah and so so we're not just here for claims we're here for sat words yes that's what we do you know what i'm saying so I don't even know if what you said is a word. I don't Perco- think any of it really makes sense. Per- but precociously yeah. pedagogical. Pedagogical yeah. is definitely a word, but that's not what you said. You did say pedag. What'd you say? I did said you- pedagogical. Did you say scatter? Oh, oh, Because oh. that's something completely different. <laughs> Scatological. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. That I- just means that's just a fancy word for shitty. I know. <laughs> I can be that too. <laughs> Scatological. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I know if you uh, looked in my brain, that's exactly what they would say. Mm. It's like he does have a brain. It's a bit scatological. <laughs> anyway, what's going on, everybody? Another fine week. It's the warmest yeah. day of the year here in uh, Maryland. So nice weather usually puts me in a good mood. Days are getting longer. Therefore, vitamin D is more readily available. Um. It's all positive stuff. Storm season has arrived. It has, and it's the f- exciting. Yes. It yeah. Is. The the phone is ringing. So things are good, man. How are you guys doing? Um, I'm busy as all get out, believe it or not. I mean, it's not just claims. It's just all of the different things that Remedy Claims is getting to, to be a part of. Um, in fact, uh, even Brent is kind of st- dipping his toe into the uh, coaching waters as well a little bit from what I understand. Uh, He's got some stuff going on. I'll leave that to his story yeah. to, tell if he wants to bring it up. Uh, you haven't made it out to Virginia yet, have you, to uh, to do that thing, have you? No, not yet. But so, it, it'll be cool. More to come on that. There, there. Who knows? It, it could be. It could be a one-off, or it could be something that uh, you know we look into maybe doing more of. So the jury, the jury is still out. Yeah, we'll wait. We'll wait to see how that goes before we kind of clue everybody else in on it. But just so everyone does know that Brent is out there and he is bringing the knowledge in other places other than just right here at his home on the Rumble. So um, it's not just you guys. We're trying to spread the word each and every week. So, Miss Donna, what's yes. going on in the amazing world that we all live in? Anything cool? Anything? Um, Betty Davis. is It's her birthday today. Do you know who that is? Betty Davis? Betty yes, Davis. I know who Betty Davis is. Do you know is. about her eyes? <laughs> I don't know about her eyes. Tell me about her eyes. <laughs> it's a song called Betty Davis Eyes. Oh, okay. In the yeah. 80s. So. Yeah. So, Betty Davis. It's her birthday today? Yep. 
Well, it was. She's dead, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> true. Um, so not a lot of people around of to celebrate. Should we do a moment of silence? Yeah, a moment of silence on her birthday because she no longer gets to celebrate it. All right, that's enough of that. God, we suck. We bring down the room like in the very beginning. Well, I mean, you know, it's like we just want to pay homage to those who came before. There's nothing I wrong with that. I want to deliver the news. That's what I, that's my job is. To do you want to deliver the news? Yeah, that's why I tell people. That's why I tell you guys who died. Oh, okay. I so think everyone should know. Well, I mean, I think you get like Facebook alerts when people die. She'll get an yeah. alert, Brent, from time to time. And it is literally <gasps> who died. Yes, I have. I'm on a Deadpool, which is that's also horrible. I'm a horrible person. Okay. So I'm on a Deadpool where people predict who's going to die next. I don't have a list, so I'm not that horrible, but it's Ooh. enjoyable to watch. <laughs> I just learned something new about someone I care deeply about. <laughs> <laughs> That is very strange. Sometimes you, I mean, you try to unhear it, but you just, can't. and um, well, guys, you know, all right, let's get into it. Let's, let's, let's move on. Brent, I put a poll out on Facebook on the pain of the claim presents Facebook page and the people have spoken. Hallelujah. So what I did is I threw a poll out there concerning several different topics of maybe what they wanted to talk about. And two came back with a with a resounding vote of policy interpretation. And I think it was negotiations. But for, high, right? uh, yeah, they were dead. They were a dead heat. And I think a lot of the same people voted on the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, whatever. I mean, fortunately, in a country where you do get to count your vote twice, this we wouldn't <laughs> keep with that. So um um, <laughs> Does anybody demand a recount? I, I don't think. Well, Utah is still counting. Okay, they're still counting. The, we we don't know what they're going to come up with. Um, but um, anyway, so we have decided that while we will cover negotiation, what we wanted to to dig into first is policy interpretation. Now we're going to do an overview today. And um, and then we're going to be digging in over the next few weeks on some different specifics about policy interpretation. So this one episode here is not the end all be all. I do want to remind you that the topics that we will be covering will be discussed in three 15 minute rounds. And when you hear this sound, that means that the round has begun. And when you hear this sound, the round is over. If you hear anything cool at all that makes you laugh or makes you giggle, it is not me or Brent. Well, it could be me or Brent, but usually it is baby cakes over there making us all sound a whole lot cooler than we are. And twisting we and tweaking. Yeah, twisting and tweaking. There we go. I'm not going to get into the nerfling of purple <laughs> or anything like that again. But well, there I did. I just got into it again. But guys, Visual. <laughs> round one starts right after this. When choosing someone to help with your online marketing, make sure you go with someone that has years of experience. Our good friend Sally at Thrive has over 20 years of digital marketing experience. She can build you a beautiful 15-page sleek, interactive website, post on your social media platforms multiple times a week. She can do a video, an amazing CRM to manage and uh, maintain and nurture your clients, text, email marketing, review generation, a business listing on 60 plus search engines, including free voice networks, appointment scheduling, estimates, invoices, payment processing, and more. She will also create for you on uh, on Google, a Facebook page, in Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you need these for your businesses, she'll, she'll help you create those pages on all of those sites. If you already have these pages, she'll optimize them for you as well. 
call or message Sally today. If you want to get started, you can reach her at 214-789-1651. Again, her name is Sally Brigance. Her number is 214-789-1651. And uh, you'll also get a landing page the day you sign up. When you send her a referral that signs up with her, she'll credit your billing account. Logos are also available. Um, and she also offers a lead generation service and SEO search engine optimization where she can uh, guarantee you to appear on the first page of Google or your money back. It is spelled T-H-R-Y-B. And you can find my good friend Sally Brigance, and that's spelled S-A-L-L-I-E. Brigance, B-R-I-G-A-N-C-E, and she can be reached once again at 214-789-1651. Round one, elements of the policy. So usually Brent and I kick this thing off, but actually, Donna, I'm going to throw it to you. What is an insurance policy? What is the nuts and bolts of it? What is what is it actually? An insurance policy is a contract. A contract. And it is a contract of adhesion. And what that means is that you don't get to negotiate it. And usually it's it's kind of one sided. One one side usually fares better than the other. Um. So you, we sign contracts of adhesion or we agree to contracts of adhesion all the time, which is we, when we agree to user agreements, those things that you just click through so that you can just use the software product, those are contracts of adhesion. Are my cell phone contract. Yep. Um, my streaming contract, my cable or satellite. Those are all. Your company cam user agreement. Yeah. My company cam user agreement. Those are all contracts. Of and I bet you guys never read any of that. Your online banking <laughs> is a contract of adhesion. Yep. So there's a South Park episode where um, I can't remember which one, it, which kid it was, but he didn't read the user agreement and he agreed. He unknowingly agreed to to certain things. And you should watch that. <laughs> so so I didn't realize that all of those user agreements are considered contracts of adhesion. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's what they are. The contracts of adhesion and uh, typically written in favor of the drafter yep. by and large. And uh, so, uh, you know, contracts all have kind of certain parts of it. So Donna, I mean, and so everyone knows that Donna is a is it certificated or cert? Or I, went, is it, I went to paralegal school for two years. You went to so paralegal. To paralegal, and then I was I was once certified certified in commercial contract c contracting. Okay, so I mean, talk to us a little bit about the structure of a contract and kind of what makes a contract a contract. So there are five things that must be present in in an agreement to make it legally binding. The first thing is the offer, which is the written promise, and that's you know what what each person is going to do. Um, the acceptance is the terms, and that's how how each person is going to do this. Um, consideration is the value, um, the value that each that each party brings to the table. So in this case, it, the homeowner would be it would be their premium because that's the, that's the value that they give. And then as far as the carrier goes, it's the the product of insurance is is the thing of value. Okay, is the consideration. Um, let's see. There, there has to be a mutual obligation where you both agree to agree to the terms and 
um, you have to have competence and capacity. That means you have to be sane or, it, or else it's not legal. It's not a legally binding contract. So can I be drunk? As long as I'm sane, I can be drunk. You and cannot be drunk. What about what about some meth? Just a little bit of meth? No, because that affects your capacity. Oh, okay. Oh, man. So not even a little bit of meth, guys. You can't even do a little bit of meth. Yep. And if a if an agreement is over five hundred dollars, it must be in writing. Oh, wow. It's got to be in writing if it's over 500 yes. bucks. That is interesting. Yep, yep, yep. Um, I am going to file that little tidbit of knowledge away because I plan to use that somewhere. Now, is that pretty much general rules of contract or is that just Texas or is that That's can it vary state to state rules of, of any contract? These things have to be in any contract. Um, also, there's definitions in contracts. So you're, you're going to see on the policy, you're going to see definitions. Um, they're either going to be at the beginning of the contract or there might be a separate page. Um, of definitions or they're put in throughout the contract. And if you see um, a word or phrase that's capitalized, that usually means that there is a definition for it. So before you assume you know what that phrase means, go back, go look at the definition of what they say it means in this agreement. Right. Because they can make it mean anything they, they want yeah. to pretty much. Pretty much. As long as it's not illegal, they can they can make it mean any. They can they can say that red is now blue. Well, I don't want to let this agreement. Red is now blue. I, yeah, right. For for the purposes of this agreement, red yeah. is now blue. Like um, a good example of that, even with an insurance policy that I'm aware of is farmers has a metal marring exclusion. Now, marring is most commonly identified as like general wear and tear, but within the farmer's exclusion or within the farmer's definitions portion of the policy, I know that they re redefine marring. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, if there is no definition, what does that mean again? If there's If it's not defined, then you can probably assume it's the same Webster's definition. But if if the, if it is defined, it's whatever they say it is for this particular agreement. Um, if there's any attorneys out there and I'm wrong, please correct me. Um, this is not legal advice. I'm not an attorney. So if you are an attorney out there and I've said anything incorrect, please correct me. We did, however, stay at a Holiday Inn Express yes. last night. So there's that and you want to factor that in. <laughs> So um, let's Brent, let's dig into the elements, the elements of a policy and kind of how they work. Um, the biggest one that I kind of want to that I want to talk about it, you know, or, I, you know, elements is maybe a bad word. I think maybe components is a yeah. better word to use. And the first component that I would want to bring up is is the declarations page. Now, the declarations page has got a ton of information on it. It's got a lot of really um, uh, it's got a lot of information about the policy and how it works because you can get into the language and the meat of the policy, so to speak, and it can appear to be rather boilerplate and we see it all, we, you know, we see these, like whether it's the exclusions or the, or the coverage caps and all that kind of stuff that you read as you go through, as you go through a policy and what they will and won't cover, um, but the declarations page has some very key components in it. And the first one I want to drill down to is 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 the coverages. And I think coverages are a very key part of what we look at. Now, not all of the coverages or limitations are going to be l listed on the declarations page. But basically, when I when I talk about coverages, you've got um I want to say it's like A through E. 
is it a, well you got a through you also get into medical payments you also get into liability yeah. um, there's some other coverages within it but by and large when we're a public adjuster we are dealing with with four basic coverages which is coverage a which is the dwelling coverage coverage b which is other structures um such as fences mailboxes swimming pools sheds um, detached garages yeah detached garages um coverage c is going to be contents and then coverage d is going to be loss of use and then coverage e often is like um liability and and no e i don't look at is e, it medical yeah, payments what, what, well, even, sometimes <laughs> it depends on the policy because you it may be called coverage e it could be called coverage m for medical payments coverage l for liability right. even in some different policies like i know like state farm for example does not have a coverage b other structures they're laid out coverage a dwelling coverage a other structures and then it goes into coverage b contents coverage c loss of use or ale um so different policies will have different elements basically what i just outlined is your general um iso ho3 policy by and large those are going to be kind of the coverages that you see there um and most of those coverage limits are going to be set as a percentage base of the coverage a so when you apply when or when an individual applies for homeowners insurance they take in all of these things into account where the house is located the age of the house um they're going to take into account um you know uh you know, maybe crime the time it was updated, the crime rates, whether or not it has a, you know, a, a burglar alarm, a smoke alarm. They're going to go into all of these things and it is going to spit out a number. And that number is going to tell them basically if the house were to burn to the ground, what would it cost to rebuild that house? So in a situation with a home where it's really different than like an automobile, say your home cannot be totaled because even if it burns all the way to the ground, they are covering what it would cost for it to rebuild it. And ideally, that is what we're looking to do is to completely and totally rebuild the home. So there's no such thing as a total loss on a house. There is only policy limits or coverage limits that apply as it pertains to the limits of life liability that they will pay to rebuild that house essentially from the ground up and all of the other coverages typically are a percentage for example other structures are going to typically be 10 percent um, contents are often somewhere around 70 percent um, ale can be 30 percent uh, but all of these vary depending on the policy and the amount of coverage that you want to purchase i have seen coverage be like you may have a house that's insured for two hundred thousand dollars but it's got this great big huge barn or shop on the uh on the on the land with it and it's and it's used to park your car in and it may be used for storage it can be used as a as a you know a, a game room or whatever the case may be it's still a dis 
detached structure. And so there is generally opportunity to purchase additional insurance if that 10% isn't going to cover it. So when you walk onto a property and you see significant amount of other structures and and it appears to be, you know, well valued above what you think 10% of the home might be valued at, you want to pay attention to those things. Very, very close attention to whether or not what kind of coverages you're dealing with. And that's one of the informations you can look at on a declarations page. And using these coverages, Brent, is very key when it comes to setting expectations, you know, and what we can expect it and what we can expect to be covered. Because if we've got a huge barn and a tree has fallen on it and you've got a $250,000 home, it could be well over $25,000 to repair or replace that barn. Yeah, you, you hit on something a minute ago where um, you just said a lot. We're 10 minutes in. I haven't really said anything. You say so you said a lot, and I'm like <laughs> sitting here jotting some stuff down. But one of the instances where, where I find the deck page really helpful is in that circumstance where you're kind of sizing up the loss, you're you're wrapping your head around it in terms of you're visually seeing what's going on or getting a sense of what's going on. And if a deck page is available or readily available, it's nice to have out so you can kind of compare some numbers to what your gut is telling you. <laughs> you know, if they've got $50,000 in coverage B, and you're looking at this detached shed or barn that's bigger than the daggone house, you immediately might have that thought go through your head like, oh, uh-oh. You know, it also depends on the type of loss. You know, if we're talking if if the if the barn or shed caught on fire, well, that's different than replacing the roof on said barn or shed or whatever. But in, a, in terms of just really practical application of the deck page and how it can be helpful, it's always a good idea to to know what you have to work with um, in terms of the dollars and cents and, and what the limits of liability are. The, um, the way that I look at a deck page is sort of, it's like the cliff notes of the policy, right? That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, it is. The, you yeah. know, uh, deck page isn't going to give you all the what'd you call it earlier like the 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 meat but it's gonna give you that that 30,000 40,000 foot overview of what this policy is what it entails and the more policies you read you'll be able to look at a deck page and kind of have a good sense of what the heck that policy is is going to say if and when you get your hands on it right deck page is super important super important um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I mean, aside from like talking about scenarios where a deck page either saved me or not having a deck page killed me. Um, I mean, you hit the highlight reel, dude. I don't, your limits of liability. Um, you'll find, so here's something interesting, depending again, it, a lot of this stuff depends on the types of claims you're, you're working or scenario that you're in, but um, the deck page isn't going to have every endorsement um, uh, listed per se, and, and it's certainly not going to have the the language of the endorsement. But sometimes you'll 
Um, depending on the carrier, you'll see those alphanumeric codes for the endorsements that are included on the policy. And so if, you know, sometimes it's a shitload of them, but my point in bringing it up is you can, um, you can Google those and you can Google those, those alphanumeric, you know, endorsement codes. And sometimes you can find the endorsement online. If you're, if you're just trying to get more of a sense of, of what this policy actually has in it. Does well, that make sense, Jeremy? What abso- I just say, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so some of, especially because the endorsements are going to be listed. And one of the things about on the deck page, as it pertains to the endorsements and how endorsements move and function throughout the policy, um, you are going to get uh, whether or not they pay premium for this endorsement. Sometimes you'll see the endorsement with nothing on there. Sometimes you'll see a premium dollar or sometimes you will see the word included. And that means when you see the word included mm. on a deck page, that means there are premium dollars attributed to that endorsement. Um, one of the things that I want to say on the deck page that's really common among all policies, especially if you're dealing with an ISO HO3 um, policy, you will see you will see an amendatory an amendatory endorsement on it, like the Texas amendatory endorsement or the Maryland amendatory endorsement, Oklahoma, and so forth and so on. And generally, what those do is it allows the state to sort of govern how insurance claims are carried out certain laws that they find to be relevant to the state okay and so you're going to see some some changes and some exclusions um within that state amendatory endorsement and it is like reading a part of the policy well all endorsements are a part of the are a part of the policy so don't don't misunderstand me but there may be coverage that's allowed inside of the policy that they restrict that coverage in that given state and so you'll see those you'll see those sort of endorsements in there a good example of it is it's like in the state of rhode island the state of rhode island is a matching state and so within that typically matching is not covered within the insurance policy so you'll see it within that amendatory endorsement when the state regulators have decided no if you're going to ha- if you're going to sell insurance in this state then you are going to cover matching it's going to be covered within those state regulations and allowances for that policy within that state so that's common and other elements of the policy um brent i I don't know if i want to kick that to you because i have talked a lot but there are other elements other than the declarations page that we probably want to cover real quick and just kind of give some just some overview because i think we'll dig into it in other rounds can i say something real quick absolutely the declarations page i i explained what consideration was and that's the value that each party brings to the to the table that that is what's on the declarations page it shows the premium that the customer's paying and it shows the the value of of the of the contract contract. yeah because like if you've got a five hundred thousand dollar coverage a limit Mm -hmm. you know that is the value that that contract brings for that particular coverage that's that's an excellent point then you've got you know you'll see policies broken out in a couple of different sections um they they uniquely define them as like section one and then uniquely define it as section 
too, but this gets into like, you know, the different things that they're going to be insuring and I'll get into kind of how it breaks down and then the different, um, you know, what, what comes with the insurance and all of the, the different things. If you're going to go ahead and use this insurance, there are some things that we have to say about that. So, um, and we're going to get into kind of all of these different elements and places within a policy, but guys, that is the overview of a policy that I find to be, you know, kind of the most pertinent things when you, when you pull one up and how to break it down and just to put a bow on it. Um, the idea that we, that we're, that we're driving at is if you break this down into sections, which we're about to do in rounds two and three, uh, if you break it down into sections, it's not as complicated as you may think. It's where we want to go find the information. So you look at it more as um, if you look at it in sections, as opposed to one thing, depending on another, it is not necessarily precept upon precept concept upon concept it is not necessarily that so it's br it's broken into chapters or sections so that you can better understand where these items might be addressed um but i want to get into not just the elements of the policy but a great way to kind of divide the policy up as you're reading it and we're going to get into that in round two and round two starts right after this the Paint of the Claim is looking for sponsors, and we would love to promote a business that provides services or equipment to public adjusters, restoration companies, and roofing contractors and general contractors. Examples would be like safety gear, roofing-related products, restoration equipment, payment services, CRMs, reporting services, expert services, anything like that. We want to help you tell your story and get you together with the people that really need your help. So give us a call. We can we can get your name out there and we can grow with you. Round two, the sections of a policy. So I heard this on a video not too long ago. I had already heard it before, but I believe, you know, Vince, Vince Perry actually put out a video on this. Um, it was actually developed by Skipton Associates back in the day or whatever. So if you want kind of more information, there's always some other information out there that you can get other than just from us. But um, it's called the DICE method. Now, I did not come up with this again. This is not me. Um, this is just something is a great way to... Um, break out a policy and if you use the word dice it will it's a great little uh mnemonic device or an anagram that will help you remember the uh, the different sections of it and dice stands for this d is for declarations i is for insurance agreement c is for conditions and e is for exclusions and so if we look at those four different areas, that will help you kind of figure out not only how the policy is constructed, but where to go find some information. So um, like, for example, we covered the declarations pretty much in, in detail, but you'll get into the insuring agreement. Here is my favorite insuring agreement. We will cover <laughs> sudden yeah. and accidental direct physical loss to covered property for these perils. And so this is, and so you'll have some policies that'll name the perils. If it's an HO3, it is commonly referred to as an all perils policy, but does an all perils policy cover all perils, Brent? 
Yeah, unless it's specifically excluded. It does. And so if it's not specifically excluded, it is going to cover all perils. Um, like, for example, mechanical damage. Is mechanical damage covered? Well, if it's not excluded and most policies don't exclude it, mechanical damage is a covered peril. Um, so you can so you can begin to realize when they or you know what else is a covered peril? Damage anomaly. Those are other things yeah. that are covered perils. A damage oh, wow. anomaly is covered. It would be a covered peril in an all perils policy. One of my one of my favorite one of my favorite questions, not even not even to be cute, is uh what is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. There's there's uh some divine wisdom on this Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, what what does that mean? Um anyway. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, no, I was th- I, wait, what you're what you're saying, what you I mean, it's just so true. It's like, okay, hey, we don't we don't know for that because of this. Well, I don't know what this or that actually means. And it's not defined in the policy, and it's not specifically excluded in the policy. So um run that by me one more time why you don't owe for it. Yeah, exactly. Can you can you please point to where it's excluded? Thank you. It, it sounds it sounds overly simplistic, but it's 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 really true. And as Donna said at the beginning, I mean, it's usually a really good idea to take a cursory glance at the policy. And when you're reading through the denials and things of that nature, it's you, you cross reference this stuff, and you'll quickly find that. You know, when you're reading that email from said adjuster that says, well, we're not paying for that because of X and we don't owe for that because of Y, you'll find, as Donna said, we refer to the definitions. And then, Jeremy, you 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 made a comment, too. It's you start connecting the dots and you'll realize, like, you, you don't need to read the policy cover to cover. You kind of just got to get to the section of the policy that addresses what they're saying whether that is in the exclusions or whether that is, you know, testing their definition um, or maybe there is not a definition and therefore it's, you know, whatever you get my point. It's just kind of my favorite thing is like, okay, you don't know for it. Well, what is that thing you're, you're saying? What does that word actually mean? Whether it be mechanical or insert other, other jargon. Um, that's, that's how I quote read a policy. Generally, I'm reading the part of the or the portion of the policy that pertains directly to what I'm dealing with at a given time. Um, and when adjusters make declarative statements about what they do or don't owe for under what circumstances, I'm referring back to the policy to I actually want to prove them right. You know? Um, if they tell me they don't know for something, I'm going to go read that policy as if they're right. Cause in essence, what I'm looking for is what isn't there. And that's sort of my, um, my approach to that. I don't even know why I got off on a tangent, but I was well, thinking, I think, I think as it pertains to exclusions in the, oh yeah, that's what it was. I mean, if we're looking at the exclusions and, and so sometimes, you know, like it's going to tell you that it's not going to cover damage due to riot. Um, and I think it's important to understand what, what, what is the difference between vandalism, so to speak and riot. 
What right. is the difference between because basically that's what we think of when we think of damage due to a riot is generally, you know, bricks going through windows, you know, setting cars on fire or whatever the case. I mean, paint whatever picture of a riot that you want to paint. You're a riot. Oh, thank you so much. You know, yeah, I mean, yes, I, I appreciate that. Uh, no, uh, uh, a riot, a riot. Y'all be quiet. Okay. Um, a riot, a riot is basically vandalism is up to two people. I was going to say, isn't a riot more than two people? It's more than two people. You know what I mean? And so, and other exclusions like, um, you know, one of the things that I, I, I look at as far as exclusions go is not necessarily, it, it may be a peril that's ordinarily covered, but if it happens over an extended mere, uh, period of time, for example, weeks, months, or years. And so you will see things excluded and, and, and you'll see field adjusters say it appears to have been leaking for about 14 to 15 days. The minimum required amount of time for weeks, <laughs> the plural of weeks to be, yeah. to be, um, to be considered there. And so that's, you will see these, these tricks that while well, tricks are not necessarily that, these classifications made Thank, by, yeah, that's by carrier adjusters as to determine how long something. And the truth is, is that when we deal with these exclusions, especially over something that's been leaking, that's when you really want to kind of fall back to the date of discovery. No one really knows what we know has been done is it's been discovered. And I, my favorite thing is, is like, well, there's no way that thing could mold in four days. That's just not true. <laughs> That's just yeah. not true. And it, and it's like, if you would like to present me your microbiology degree that tells me exactly how long it takes for mold to grow in this particular environment, I'm all ears, buddy. But until you just want to throw that out there and you have some kind of empirical data to prove that mold won't grow, I've seen mold grow real fast, real, yeah. real fast. A matter of, you know, it's not there, you know, one, you know, at, at, at eight o'clock and you begin to see mold spores manifest because remember mold spores are going to manifest prior to our visual recognition of them you know yeah. and and i think that's important too and i'm not trying to get into mold necessarily but weeks months or years it's like it has to do with the amount of time that we're aware that it's present that awareness matters as it pertains to coverage in the policy um what was DICE again? Declaration. Ensuring agreement. Ensuring agreement. Conditions. And exclusions. Conditions and exclusions. It's it's interesting. I've had this happen a couple of times on some more... Um, I don't even know how I classify them. Not, not like normal. Not like a storm claim. Like... <clears throat> Collapse claim, uh, slab leak, done a, done a couple of those. Um, one of the structure, uh, structural tree claim that I did recently had a couple interesting things where there was a lot of policy stuff. But what's interesting is when you find yourself in these policy conundrums, something that I've sort of learned is I start with the end game in mind. And so 
I said this a couple minutes ago, but if an adjuster says, well, we don't, you know, we're not, we're not paying for that because of this. I'm approaching that policy to try to prove them right. And if I can't, then I'm going to approach that policy to prove them wrong or insufficient. Um, and customarily I'm looking for what is in there. So in a, in a practical sense, it's like, well, we don't, owe, we don't know for, I'm going to use the roofing thing. Well, we don't know for those shingles cause wear and tear is excluded. Well, yes, that language is in there, but I'm going to run it up against the part where it talks about what they do pay for. I don't know if that makes sense, what I'm saying. I know it makes sense in my head because I do it all the time. It's how I break a policy down. I don't know if I'm doing a good job explaining it. I'm literally I'm, I'm literally looking for their reason in the policy in a way that, that actually supports what they're saying. Conversely, when I'm putting my argument together as for what they owe for, um, I kind of, I, I, I like using the absence of language to kind of prove my point. It's like, you're saying you don't know for this because of this reason, but I don't see it anywhere. Almost as if it's, it's sort of made up like water cooler talk. There's a difference between them telling you that they don't owe for something for whatever reason. And it's completely unsupported by anything written in the contract. Furthermore, when they use vernacular, that's nowhere in the contract. Um, I, you know what I mean? I think right. I got a little bit convoluted there for a second, but I brought it back. Like I'm constantly trying to seek that stuff out. It's you, you're, you're telling me X, you're giving me your reasons, but I can't seem to locate any of this in this thing that we call the policy of which the homeowner pays for. Does that make any sense? Yeah. It's, it's, it's because, because it's like a, they need to show it to you. Show me where it, it, yeah, like, and and I think, it, sorry, let me let me bookend this really quick. I feel like it used to happen to me a lot more where adjusters adjuster makes these these comments, and I'm like, well, shit, like, are they right? Is that right? And 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 I would, you know, you read in the, you know, you read online and you see all this stuff. It's like, well, what's the policy say? Well, guess what? The policy is confusing as shit. You know, on a good day, I'm not 100% sure that I understand every word of that policy as it's written. The policy is written at an eighth grade level, but I feel like you need to have a freaking doctorate to really understand it sometimes. Okay. And I'm not an idiot most days. So <laughs> it's like, it's interesting. So I would find myself in this conundrum where it's like, well, Johnny adjuster over here said that they don't owe for it for these reasons, but... I don't, I can't, I can't prove him right. <laughs> like I can't, I'm sitting here reading the words on the page. Half the words he used aren't even in the policy anywhere. And the way that he's telling me that this particular thing applies doesn't, doesn't jive with what's on written on the daggone page. You know what I mean? I do and, know. And, and, it, and it can, but it can be very like frustrating because you're sitting there like banging your head against the wall going, what the hell am I missing? And I guess what I'm here to say is you might not be missing anything. That's your answer. <laughs> right. Well, that, I mean, that's the problem that it's, that's what you're, that's what, that's your, there's your argument. The most the common, the most the common misinterpretation that I see that goes right along with what you're saying here, Brent. And I think it's important that we point this out specifically is the difference between a proximate cause and a primary cause. 
Um, so you have a primary cause of loss versus a proximate cause of loss. Now, everybody knows that wear and tear is going to happen to any house. It would live in a constant state of peril if wear and tear were a covered peril. But wear and tear is excluded as a covered peril. However, wear and tear is something that has got to be accounted for. And where that's accounted for is in the calculation of actual cash value. You have a roof. It is a 30-year shingle. It has been on your house for 10 years. It therefore has 10 years worth of wear and tear on it. So we're going to depreciate the cost of a brand new roof by 33% or 10 years on a 30-year roof. We're going to de depreciate that by 33%. And that's the amount of money that we're going to pay you. Here's the good news. If you want to add an endorsement, which is called the replacement cost coverage endorsement, then we can get you the actual cost of today, not what you paid for the roof way back when, but the actual cost to replace it today. And so that's addressed, that's addressed through endorsement, the replacement cost coverage endorsement. And so the basic idea is the policy is going to pay the actual cash value of the damaged property that is due to a covered peril. Now, these exclusions within exclusions, you are going to find things like the anti-concurrent causation clause, meaning that we're not going to pay a loss due to win if the concurrent if we have a concurrent causation of wear and tear and the reason that it was susceptible to wind was because the roof was 37 years old and it's a 30-year roof and so if it's past its useful life or within obsolescence then it's not going to be covered and so you get into all of these these small little minutiae details. And guys, don't worry. We're not covering that today, but we will get into some of these exclusions and how they're weighed out in future episodes. But we wanted to kind of give you how this all sort of breaks down. And, and, and the other portion that we haven't really brought up is the conditions. Um, there is a the conditions of a policy. It's like, yes, we're going to provide you insurance, but there's a few caveats we'd like to talk about. And and that is where I find, by and large, where we set up, you know, we pitch a tent and set up camp is usually within the conditions because they'll tell you that wear and tear is not covered. But we're going to say, yeah, but it's got this peril. You don't have this exclusion to exclude this peril when this said thing is present. And 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 that is and that's why we're asking for coverage. And like Brent said, he's going in there and he's looking for no matter what, we're not going to cover wind. Now, there's a lot of policies like and you're going, well, wind is always covered, Jeremy. Not always. It is not always covered in the state of Texas. For example, there's 16 counties that run along the border of Texas on the Gulf Coast. Where wind isn't covered, you actually have to buy a separate wind policy through the Texas Wind Insurance Organization, Wind Wind Insurance Agency. It is underwritten by the government. It is very similar. Yeah. 
Um, it is very similar to flood and how it covers the, 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 the wind peril. And you'll also see that is a named peril policy where you will see exclusions for water, whether driven by wind or not. You'll see all of these kinds of exclusions. And so while we broadly are talking about an HO3, understand that within any given policy, um, you're going to have these elements, the declaration, the insuring agreement, the conditions and the exclusions. And I really think exclusions should fall under the insuring agreement because that's we're agreeing that we're not going to cover that. And E should be changed to endorsements. Now, that's my own personal opinion. You know, I am not trying to rewrite um, Skipton and Associates really great way of explaining how to break down a policy. But by and large, there you go. That's how it's done. And those are the different things that you want to be looking at and understand when it falls within those categories. That's how you uh, understanding where it falls in the policy will really help you begin to interpret what's going on there. I love how the bell goes off as soon as I'm done talking. <laughs> it never interrupts me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You should give Brent control of the bell sometimes. Yeah, I mean, anytime he wants control of the bell, hey. he can have it. But as hey, we're as we're three months in and payback's a bitch. I don't know if you want me. I don't know if you want me running the bell. Ding ding ding. ding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as soon as I start talking, ding 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 ding. Yeah. <laughs> so guys, oh wait, now come on, Brent. Come on, man. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> so, um, guys, that is basically the dice method or the dice explanation of how you can break down a policy. Really good information. But what we want to, you know, kind of dig into now that we kind of understand how it's break broken down is how we use the policy, where we use the policy and, and, and in what situation maybe like Brent was talking about, he's looking for something that's not there. And maybe Brent will share with us one of the places where he couldn't discover it. And we can get into some cases because round three starts right after this. Military veterans and first responders need our help. Many of them have trouble transitioning to civilian work and life, but they can thrive in meaningful and rewarding careers. Veterans Claim Victory is a 501c3 nonprofit helping veterans and first responders transition to civilian work in the insurance claims industry. We can reach many of these heroes in assist in education, training, job placement, and support, regardless of the insurance claim career that they choose. For more information, please, guys, visit veteransclaimvictory.org. Round three, how and when to apply the policy. Brent, I'm going to let you take this one. <laughs> Policy becomes really relevant when it's being used against you, right? It does. I mean, it's funny. I, I mean, practically speaking, maybe maybe I sound like a buffoon, but generally, generally, when I'm qualifying a claim and it, it, you know at the beginning phases, meaning meaning I'm not paing it yet. You know, right. the policy is obviously the guiding light of the claim, but, you know, I don't, we don't always get it right away, you know? So usually I'm trying to get my hands on a deck page so I can get the cliff notes, see what the heck's going on. If 
there are endorsements or things on the deck page that I haven't seen at least 20 times um, looking them up or trying to gather additional information. Because again, getting a certified copy of the policy can take a couple weeks depending on the carrier. Yeah. If can. not longer. I mean, I got, you know, if at all. Yeah. Shit. I mean, we all have those horror stories, but just as a general rule, I mean, I, I like starting with the deck page just so I can kind of see, um, you know, what it is. Um, the the deck page in and of itself has allowed me to settle claims within a matter of days. You know, the homeowner, and I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of like storm claims and roofing and siding scenarios where, you know, you can insert whatever scenario you want, where it's like you, you kind of take a look at the deck page and see what's going on. And it's like, all right, they, they got this all wrong. And, you know, I've been able to pick up the phone and just call somebody and be like, um, you guys are screwing up here, you know? So on a very simplistic basis, how and when it applies, well, usually, you know, it becomes very, very important when it's not being honored or being used against the homeowner. Um, but even prior to that, I'm trying to get my hands on a on the deck pages as soon as I can just to get a sense of, of what they're working with. I mean, do you do something different or do you have kind of a different... I'm keeping it a hundred thousand feet. I mean, I think that's the goal of this segment. I don't want to get into the weeds on stuff. I mean, do you have something different that you do or a best I practice really, or by and large, that's kind of what I do is like, I'm driving a bunch of stuff off of the, um, off of the deck page. And I am really, I mean, the deck page is sort of my decoder ring for the policy. That's that's what I'm looking at. Now, the only thing that I super dig into are the conditions because it's in the conditions or section two. Generally, I think of the policy where where you'll find, um, you know, that's where you're going to find things like the duties after the loss. Right. You know what I mean? And, you know, right. some policies are going to require that you submit a proof of a sworn proof of loss within 60 or 90 days. Some policies are going up on our request and we'll provide the form. Please provide this information and understand that, you know, those, you know, I always wondered why they gave us so much time to fill out a stupid form because I realize you're not just filling out a form. It's not a perfunctory effort. We're trying to be as accurate as we can based on the information we have at the time. And so that takes some investigation. It may take talking to some contractors. It may take talking to um, some experts as far as like environmental experts and engineers and things and, and things of that nature that that you have to dig into and so those things can take some time you know you're not yeah. it's just not going to be readily available i've got a client right now that i tried to explain to him what the timeline your typical timeline for a claim if everything goes great great you're looking at 45 days if it just goes from the time that you file it to the time that they show up and investigate it, um, you hire contractors and we get estimates put together and they go back and they look at it. Because by and large, I'm going to say that the carrier is not there to do a full blown investigation. They're there basically to do a confirmation. 
and they don't get into really investigative efforts until it's coverage that they don't think is warranted. And then you see a whole lot of effort and a whole lot of resources and manpower put behind, you know, disproving the claim or finding some some issue with the claim so that it doesn't have to be covered. And, um, you know, you turn in a million dollar loss, you can pretty much assume that there's a denial letter going to follow shortly thereafter. Or at a bare minimum, a reservation. Of I was going to say, or an ROR <laughs> or both. <laughs> yeah, generally both. <laughs> but um, I mean, that's just, that's what you're going to be up against. So if you get a large claim and you get a denial that comes in, that is just them maintaining, um, for lack of a better term, like in Texas, we have prompt payment statutes and we've got yep. very strict timelines on whether or not a claim is going to be accepted or denied, you know? And so once they've accepted a claim or extended cover, once they've accepted a claim, they have so much time to make a coverage decision. And the safest decision to make often is, nope, we're not going to cover it. Yep. Unless you can show me how and why we should cover it, we're not going to cover it. And at the end of the day, that is your job you know, um, is, is to prove the loss. And that's all going to be found in the conditions. And so when it comes down to applying for coverage under the policy or making a demand for payment, you've got to have those bases covered and know what those are. And so if you don't have the policy, it's very difficult. So often what I will do is I will call the desk adjuster and I'll have the deck page in front of me, but I'll pretend like I have absolutely no information at all, Brent, and I'll just start asking questions as it relates to this particular loss. And so I'm going to have different questions for a roof claim versus the questions that I would have for an interior water loss or a freeze or an ice dam or all of these ever all of these different things and how the peril has affected the house. Fire is going to be a completely different conversation conversation. You know what I mean? Those are going to be some policy limit questions that you're going to have. Um, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're dealing with a fire. So real quick, something, something that I think comes up a lot, um, is you, you know, you and I are sitting on, on the front porch and we're staring at the sky, sipping on some unsweet tea. And I say, hey, Jeremy, the sky looks blue today. And you say, yeah, man, it's really pretty. And we both look at it and it's blue. We know it's blue. We agree it's blue. And that's that. That's Same thing. Romantic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm anticipating some funny music behind that. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's so, coming. <laughs> but, but we constantly, as public adjusters or whatever, contractors, we run into these scenarios where we're looking at something that is objectively true or clear as day, no pun intended, and yet you have a, a unruly adjuster who literally will call that damage everything but what it is. Oh, the, well, we have verified hail on this state and the damage is consistent with hail. No, that's mechanical. No, it's uh, again, I, I don't need to fill in all those blanks. Right. And so as it pertains to the policy and sort of those scenarios, I, I literally just had this happen um, about, uh, it was last week. It's just a claim I'm working on, small one. And the adjuster gave me all the like, boilerplate kind of bullcrap and she's she's very con convinced in in her opinion that this is not covered and 
and I asked her, what, what does hail damage look like in an email? Can you please provide me with your understanding of what hail damage typically does to uh, a shingle roof system? Can you please provide me with what you would define or how you would describe what wind damage typically looks like to a you know roof system? And, and it's roofing and siding that's jacked up. And she... And it's interesting. Not wind wind damage is not defined in any policy I've ever seen, nor is hail. And she wrote back and basically said, Sorry, I'm I'm going off memory. But she basically wrote back and it was one of those like she's talking to me like I'm stupid emails. The tone of her email was such that she thinks I'm an idiot. And um most would agree with her. But <laughs> The you know she was like well wind damage would cause granular loss and tear shingles and um, crease them and she said you know and and hail uh, I can't remember exactly what she said about hail but like hail will cause granule loss and but this roof and and well oh and she said you know the condition of, we don't know because of this this and this and hail and wind damage would be followed as the um, and in her denial verbiage is where she's like, this roof has overdriven nails, torn shingles, granule loss, uh, long-term wear and tear. She gave like six adjectives and three of them, three of the six that she used are how we would describe covered damage. This shingles are torn, increased or whatever. And there's granule loss that's documented. Like you can see where the freaking hail hit, you know, and caused impact marks. As I ramble on, my point is that as it pertains to the policy, what isn't there? Well, a definition of what wind damage is, is not present. A definition of what hail damage is, is not present. And so in this particular circumstance, it seemed fitting to ask this particular person, what her definition is like okay i'm saying it's blue you're saying it's red I, I we're clearly not operating off of the same understanding of you know the color spectrum here so why don't you go ahead and tell me what you see on this roof and when she went ahead and described that she actually described freaking wind and hail damage and um that's the road that i'm going down now it's like so all this stuff is denied except the thing that we're claiming is exactly what you just defined, right? It's sort of interesting when you kind of turn it on its face like that. Um, I did it again. I, I'm like a space cadet on this episode. I, I, I got off on it. Oh, how I went. How I went to apply the policy. That's it's just an example of they're using the policy against the homeowner. But it's the absence of definitions and language that makes it ambiguous, which is actually what benefits the homeowner, in my opinion, in a circumstance like the one I just described. So, well, and 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 I I want to lay sort of a groundwork of defense with with the carrier, okay? And and please, nobody throw rocks or boo at me right now. But I want I want I want you to understand 
that these people do not get the privilege, especially desk adjusters, do not always get the privilege of dealing with policy experts or public adjusters that understand the language of the policy and what it does and doesn't cover because just because the cabinets in your upstairs vanity match the downstairs kitchen cabinets doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to go replace all the cabinets that have some sort of similarity that bears a similarity to the damaged ki kitchen cabinets downstairs or flooring or things. And, and people pretty much buy insurance policies thinking that if anything goes wrong with my house, that's why I have insurance. But <laughs> who could afford to fix any of this shit? You know what I mean? Who could do that? You know, and and it's like, so surely the insurance carrier is going to cover it when my water heater wears out. Right. I mean, you know, they're going to cover all the damage. Why wouldn't they cover the thing that caused it? Well, that is a very interesting situation there. And, you know, and that's why things like water heaters and old pipes that they break and those things are not covered. That is the point of, you know, some of the exclusions that we get into. But I often see um, the biggest issue is, is how these conditions often are applied and how they believe that it's just not covered. Because understand this, carriers are a for-profit business. And paying claims is is a is a is against their bottom line. I mean, they don't want to pay claims because it affects their it directly affects their bottom line. Now, I realize by and large they have some expectation of claim payments to go out, but if they can monitor, regulate, and negotiate those payments to be as low as they possibly can. That is the business that they're in. They're not there to be your friends. And, and I have said it a thousand times. You've heard Brent say it a thousand times and everybody say it with me. Insurance is not a service. It's, it's a, a product. product. <laughs> um, and I really want to I really and I want to come back to this, Brent, in another episode where we talk about the definition of damage. You know, when damage is not clearly identified within the policy, hail damage is not clearly identified within the policy. And and some of these things and the contract and the policy, believe it or not, is written with a with a with a tone of ambiguity so that it um it's written with a tone of ambiguity so that there is coverage for those things. And the whole idea, if you look at any state regulation that has any kind of bad faith laws in place, is that you will know that that ambiguity and the interpretation of that ambiguity is going to fall on the side of the policyholder. It's the person that did not get the opportunity to draft the agreement, their opportunity to negotiate how that policy is is interpreted is at their at the drafting when they drafted it, because come signing time and after it's signed and come claim time, there is no opportunity to re to redefine things. That is a hard and fast rule. And so remember that when you're interpreting policy and you're applying policy, their perfunctory or their inaccurate interpretation of that policy is something that you most certainly should interpret correctly and argue or at least ask the proper questions as it pertains to coverage. Just like Brent said, I asked her what she, what the damages were that weren't covered, and she basically 
described hail and wind damage. And it's like, how is that not covered? So can you please do this for me, Miss Desk Adjuster? Can you define for me using different words, I guess, <laughs> what hail and wind damage would be? So really quick, I know uh, our timer's up, but I did that on a claim uh, about you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> <So> funny. <laughs> oh my. Over there. Uh, Maniacal I think I'm so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Brent. I'm sorry. I, I, I couldn't pass that up. I, I feel like you and I just got our third grade diplomas together. <laughs> um, I did that on a collapse claim. Uh, it was probably two years ago. I remember that claim. I remember that claim. They were denying coverage. I went back and forth. They denied and denied and denied. I went back and forth with the guy for probably about 45 days. Um, and the, uh, the, I actually sent him an email and demanded that he put his answer in writing without using um, I have to find that. It'd be interesting to bring up on another episode. Um, but I, I did exactly what you described. I'm like, look, you keep saying the same thing. I need you to give me an answer without using words that aren't in the policy. So do me a favor, write your answer and don't use the following two words. And um, I guess the long make a long story longer, like I got it bought, like or we got it approved and and, and it worked out. Um, as it turns out, he was just misinterpreting what was going on. Uh, it was interesting though, you know, it, it took some, it took some back and forth. Um, but it, it, it's, you will see this time and time again, where carriers and for good reason, but they're, they're relying on sort of what they think the policy says or does not what it actually says. Right. Policies are pretty in, in their nature, the verbiage that they use, there's some jargon in there, but they're pretty simple. We do this, you shall do that. The it's not it's not riddled with a bunch of SAT words. What makes it tricky is all of the conditions and the and the conditional language therein. And the and I mean, a lot of carrier adjusters just simply, they don't read it. They, they don't know. They're literally going off gut instinct, intuition, water cooler, water cooler speak. Um, emotion. Monday morning meeting notes. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, emotions, you know, um, pretenses. I mean, it, am I wrong here? Like, I, I get that sense a lot of times when, when adjusters are denying things that, it, it is in a lot of ways it's unfounded you know the denials the partial denials the denials they they don't always they don't make a lot of sense by and large <laughs> i mean i don't know I, i'm i feel like i'm getting into a different topic but um i used that tactic that you just described and and it worked right um I'm done. You can ring the you can ring the damn bell now. <laughs> so anyway, um, no, that's the uh, 
you know, to to wrap the roundup, I think Brent makes a really, really good point. And even with that collapse claim that you were working with, I mean, the issue, the issue that qualified it was, I mean, and, and Brent, let them know, you did end up getting that claim covered. Did you not? Yeah, yeah, I said that. We, oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I just yeah. wanted to make sure that, that I, I didn't know if I caught that or not. So. Um, but that claim ends up getting covered based on the language of the policy. And that's exactly what it got covered. And so even what I and what I would tell you guys is that when you are pulling policy out and you're using it as an excerpt of coverage, you're, ex, you're, you're pulling an excerpt of the policy to apply coverage or where you think coverage should be used. Remember, you're just a guy reading the policy and don't let them wrap you up with, oh, I didn't know you were a lawyer. I didn't know you were allowed to interpret policy. One, you are allowed to interpret policy. And I and it's like attorneys may throw rocks at me here, but everybody interprets policy every day. It was handed to the insured to interpret. And so what I want to, and, and the one thing that I ask, ask desk adjusters when they try to wrap me up with, you're not supposed to be interpreting the policy. And I'm like, well, I'm not real sure what my role is then if I'm not supposed to interpret the policy on behalf of the insured, but I'm here to represent them. And so, yes, I am going to interpret it. And I just have one question for you, Mr. Desk Adjuster. Is flood covered under this policy? And they'll always say no. And I was like, well, seems you're interpreting the policy and we pretty much have the same kind of license. So if you're interpreting the policy and I'm interpreting the policy, we can get that kind of out of the out of the way. So I, I, I want to just kind of wrap it up with that. And guys, we will get deeper into policy interpretations. We'll get into the conditions we'll get into. Um, we've done shows on endorsements, but we will dig into some deeper endorsements where we'll get into like ordinance and law and mold. And guys, we've got a lot coming for you, but that is going to do it for this episode. Do you have any final thoughts, Brent? No, nah, man. That was good. Good wrap up. What about you, baby cakes? Um, I missed a birthday. You missed a birthday. Yes, Robbie Riss' birthday was yesterday. On the was it the, what day is it today? Fifth. It is the fifth. Yes, it was on the fourth. It was on and the fourth. He was cousin Oliver on the Brady Bunch. And you're actually friends with him. You actually have not just you're not just Facebook friends. Like you guys actually exchange conversations and stuff like that. Yeah, I've never actually met him in person though. But he's supposed to be here in September, and that's when that will happen. He also was one of the voices for the Teenage, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, the movies, right? Yeah, and he was uh, stuffy on Doc McStuffins. Oh, well, I, I, I've never, ever seen one single episode of Doc McStuffins <laughs> ever. But, guys, that's going to do it this week for the Rumble. If you like what you hear, please click like and subscribe. We are at 93 subscribers, and we are desperately trying to get over 100 because that's the first 100 is the hardest 100 and so guys help us out and get us over the hump um again press like and subscribe if you found this useful um please take some time and share it and that way we can uh help all of these guys that are coming up as new public adjusters on this policy interpretation thing and we will be back next week and in the meantime guys stay ready so you don't have to get ready and we We'll see you on the next one.